The Courage to Lead, episode 205. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Iris Grimm. Iris is an experienced coach and workshop facilitator who brings a holistic and unique approach to the leadership development space. Her clients are high-performing entrepreneurs, business owners, and corporate executives who are committed to getting more out of themselves, their teams, and their lives. Iris's trademark program is called Doggone Leadership where her clients learn and implement practical leadership strategies that come from the experience of living and working with dogs. She makes it her mission to raise the awareness of the impact that dogs can have on our lives and encourages dog adoption from shelters to improve our life and work performance. Iris's services are acutely tuned to both professional and personal growth so that their clients maximize their potential as leaders and as human beings. Iris is a native German, but has been living in the U.S. for the last 27 years. Iris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Harlan. Great to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So you work with leaders on a personal and professional level. And I think that is so key because those two aspects, it's the yin and yang. It's it's the two sides of the same coin. If leaders are having difficulties in their leadership skills at work, they're probably having similar impact at home, right? If their communication skills are bad at work, it's probably a bad communication at home. Is that what you found? Yes, that and at the same time, if there's a lot of stress in the um, in the workplace, they just can't leave that in the office and come home and being the relaxed, happy uh, family member. So, you know, whatever they're dealing with at work, they're bringing it to their home and whatever they are dealing with at home, they are bringing it back to work. So therefore, sometimes even though someone may have some issues in the workplace, where the source of the issue is could actually be in their personal life. Right. Yeah, and any improvement they can make will improve right. both areas. Both areas. How you do anything is how you do everything. Exactly. Perfect. Love it. All right. I want to come back and talk about more about that, how you got your start, um, who you work with, and how you help them. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Um, listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his guests from Hollywood TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, Certainly good enough for my guests. Of course, yes. So, all right. So, Iris, have you already 10 questions for you? Okay. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? I would say balance. Right. What is your least favorite word? Least favorite? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one. All right. What turns you on? What turns me on? Mm. What turns me on is seeing people living harmonious lives with their dogs. Nice. And what turns you off? What turns me off is um, narrow-minded people um, where it's hard to have good conversations with. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, I love the sound of nature. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, any animal suffering. 
mm. when they are whining or wincing or any animal. Yes, absolutely. All right, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Um, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> Good dog. Okay. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You know, back in the days, I actually wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. A human doctor? Or a, a human doctor, yeah. Okay. No, a human doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think cool. they... Um, yeah, when they're in their own practice, um, they are working for a good cause. They yeah. make a difference. Absolutely. There's still time. You could do that. Oh, uh, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? Being a politician. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> we have enough of them. All right. Yeah. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did right. You did good. You did good. Absolutely. Very cool. And you have done good. We're going to talk about all of that. Um, Like I said, how you got your start, how you got to where you are today, who you work with and how you help them. We want to talk about dogs, um, your passion for dogs and rescuing dogs and everything like that. And at some point we'll talk about courage and leadership. Mm -hmm. All right. So listeners, we're going to talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Iris Grimm. Iris, thanks again for agreeing to be on the program. I've been looking forward to our conversation. I love dogs and I love the whole concept of, of teaching and working with leaders using dogs as kind of the, the analogy or the, the common space to, to talk about that. I love that. I love that. Yes. How many dogs do you have now? Well, I currently have three dogs, but okay. there have been times that I fostered um, many dogs and I had a total of 12 here in my house. Wow. wow. All yeah. rescues, right? Um, yes, all rescues. I started out with with my with buying a dog from um, a breeder in Germany because I didn't know any better back in the days when I got my first dog. But ever since I was made aware of of shelters and yeah. and you know dogs being in shelters, I have been fostering, and yeah, and then adopting my own foster dog sometimes. Nice. Yeah. See, my problem would be I would want to adopt them all. Fostering, I don't know that I could let the dogs go after having them. I think that yes, yes, and Harlan, you know it, that you know right there. That is a powerful lesson to learn, and because when I get a foster dog in, and especially with the rescue group that I get them in, um, they often have some kind of issue. That the, the rescue group is called Friends to the Forlorn, so they have some kind of health issue or even mm-hmm. behavior issue. And, you know, when they have a health issue, they, you spend a lot of time with them. And I treat them exactly like my, my own dogs. I, I make yeah. no difference with that whatsoever. And I put the same kind of heart and love into it because I don't know how long they will stay with me. So I don't make no difference there. So yeah. in other words, I, I fall deeply in love with these dogs. And then I give them up to a stranger. Wow. 
you know, something that you that drew, you um, drew close to your heart, and then you're giving it away to someone that you don't know, and you trust that it will work out. And yeah. and of course, I pay attention to the conversation between sure. the dog and the humans, but still, it hurts the heart. But it, it's a good lesson to learn to let something go that you love so deeply. Yeah. Wow. That would be tough, but I think it's like you said, it's it's an amazing thing. All, we've had dogs in the past; they've all been rescues from the shelter. I can't see going out and buying a dog from a a breeder. There's there's enough dogs out there that are wanting a home, right? Um, right, so. especially now, unfortunately, again. Yeah, um, there's an article we read where a lot of people, because of COVID, they decided they were going to be at home. They wanted to have an animal. Yeah. And now they're getting ready to go back to work, and right. they're taking the animals and putting them in the shelters. Right. You didn't just, it's not like you were just borrowing this little life. (laughs) You know, you took responsibility for that life. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the shelters and the rescue groups were the winners of the pandemic Yeah. because they, you know, many people adopted the dogs, but now, and also with inflation and rent prices are going up and people having to move and all of these things that the animals are the losers. Yeah. Wow. All right. I don't want to get sad here. Let's talk oh. about you. You were an experienced dog trainer too, right? Yes, I am. I started out with German Shepherds. Um, these were the dogs that I bought from a breeder in Germany. And we did a sport called Schutzhund, which is as the English translation is protection dog. Oh, and so nice. I learned so much from about dogs because we, we were with police dog trainers and we spent a lot of time immersing ourselves into nice. dogs and dog training. And that is really how I naturally then became a dog trainer. Nice. And I know they have competitions, right? Where people will go and take their dog. And, and were you involved in any of those competitions? I was in that involved. Nice. Um, I actually, with my dog, Sito, I came in second place at the Universal nice. Seeker Show. And at the same time in Germany, they actually use these kind of tests, which there are three parts to it. It's um, scent tracking, obedience, and uh, personal protection. And in Germany, you, they use this as a requirement for German Shepherds to be used for breeding. So in other wow. words, the German Shepherds, they have to pass a test um, if they want to be recognized by the German Shepherd Association in Germany. They have to pass these tests in order to be used for breeding. So, you know, we Germans, we go by the rules. <laughs> we tend to be very strict, but there is a reason to it because sure. they want to make sure that the dog still can carry out the work that they were designed to breed. Right. Um, that they were designed um, to work or to be bred for. Right. Very cool. That is awesome. Um, and I, I love the idea, like I said, of using dog analogies, especially when it comes to like setting boundaries and, mm-hmm. and with your employees at work. You know, I, I, on your website, um, or I think it was your LinkedIn profile, you were talking about um, a, a course that you taught, right? It's not the dog. Mm-hmm. workshops to empower dog owners. And it says in there, I'll read this from it. Too many dogs end up in shelters threatened to be uh, euthanized, not because they're bad dogs, but because people don't know enough about dog training and dog behavior. They don't know how they sometimes create the nuisance behaviors in the dogs and they don't know how to correct them. I've seen that. I know that that is true, but it's also true with employees and with leaders. If they're not clear about their instructions, if they're not good communicators, they can actually create the situations where the employees um, do something wrong and then they get mad at the employee and it's not the employee. A lot of times it's the leader. Right. It always comes back to the leader, um, whether it is in the dog 
human re relationship or whether it is in the employee leader relationship in the workplace. And I always say it's a good thing, right? Because I always say to, to people, if you blame it on the dog, if you are blaming it on the employee, you're giving away all the power. Right. But when we are pointing fingers at the dog or at the employee, we forget that also three fingers are pointing back towards us. So when I take responsibility for, for the things that are not going well, then I actually have the power still to do something differently and make a difference and change things. Nice. Very nice. And so your, your program, Dog on Leadership, just to be clear, you don't actually use dogs in the training, right? But you use right. the analogies, you talk about how dogs impact and how they live and maybe work in there um, because they're pack animals and people are essentially pack animals. You want a leader that you can follow, right? Yeah, right. So, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your program. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is there, uh, you know, more than, there are, I think, 60 million households here in, in the U.S. that have um, pets or that also um, many of them, the majority of them have dogs. And so, you know, people can relate to these kind of stories. And what I also often say is, you know, when, when it comes to people and their dogs, we tend to function from our neck down, right? It's like you, you see people talking about their dogs and their hearts open up, right? Versus when people think about workplace, they are functioning from the neck up, right? They are using only their brain, uh, but rarely forget, uh, rarely for, uh, take their heart into consideration. Yeah. But good leadership is a combination of mind and heart. And so I believe that having conversations about leadership from the perspective of dogs, the analogies of dogs, their relationship with dogs allows people to connect with their heart. And therefore they are gathering completely new insights about their leadership in the workplace. Nice. Yeah, so what can we learn about leadership from dogs? What are some of the lessons we can learn? Well, the, 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 one of the big lessons that we can really learn is that dogs follow our energy just like people follow our energy. It's not about what we are saying. It is really the energy that we are carrying that makes the difference, right? And it's the same thing with the dogs. The dogs don't know what kind of title you have or how much money you make. It makes no difference. What matters is how you are showing up in the relationship. And the same thing is in the workplace. It's like, who are you being in the presence of your, um, of your employees? Um, what is your true intention for your for your employees to so that together you can create the results that you want to create in the company? Nice. Yeah, and I know um, on your website you talk about the dogs can shake off their stress with ease. Right? right. We need to learn how to do that. We do. We do. It's like you know, it's it's it's. Animals are so fascinating in that regard, right? They, they are seeing a stress in their life and, and they're dealing with in the moment, however they are dealing with it, whether they are fighting, whether they are flighting, whether they are freezing or submitting. But as soon as the stressor is over, you see how the dog is shaking itself, yeah. right? And, and then it's over. And then they can play again or they lay down and they are relaxing again and falling asleep. Versus what we do is we are going back into the office, right? And then we're sitting there brewing. 
And then the, the story goes through our head over and over and again. And then you start to read an email. Oh, you didn't get it. You read a second or third time, a fourth time, right? You still are, there's this situation that happened to you beforehand sure. is still going through your head. You are not getting anything done or not much done for the rest of the day, but you are start slowly feeling your stress to go back down, right? And then you're coming home and then you, your, your wife says, so how was your day? And the first thing is, can you believe what happened to me today? <laughs> and there you are starting all right. over again, right? Repeating the story. And so what happens is in those moments is what we don't realize that the body doesn't know the difference between whether the stressor happened three hours ago or right now. Yeah. The body is excreting the cortisol the same way when we're talking to our spouses as when it happened a few hours ago. And so that is how we are carrying the stress and how we are dealing with chronic stress. Wow. Yeah, that is so true about dogs. That is yeah. so true about dogs. They, they live in the moment. And once mm -hmm. that moment is over with, it's yeah. done. They don't get up the next morning and review what happened yesterday and still angry about what happened. They're just, they're off to the next, to the next thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And not only that, did you know that anxious dogs don't exist in the, in the um, wild world? And hmm. Dogs only become anxious while living with us humans. Wow. Because they pick up our energy, right? Because they are picking up our energy. Wow. And as I say, they are they are swimming in our emotional soup, right? Yeah. Just like a leader is the emotional thermostat um, in a company. That means their emotional well-being, how they are showing up, has an impact on the energy and, and the work engagement of their team. Wow. And I had... To give you an example, many years, um, a couple of years ago, I worked with a leader where, you know, by just having an interview with the with the um, staff, they told me that by the way he his hair is combed in the morning when he walks into the office, they know <laughs> what kind of day it will be for them, yep. Yep. right? And again, it's not what they're saying; right. it's who they are being and how they are showing up. Right, how they show up exactly. Um, you also talk about how a dog can read the energy of the room very quickly. That's something mm -hmm. very few people can can do well. You can learn how to do that, but it's not just a, a natural thing for us to read the room. Um, it's it is it is natural, but we have forgotten it again because we can't we can't sense it from our from our brain. We have to sense it from our body. And most of us are not in our body. We are in our brains. We are thinking things through. We are already 10 minutes ahead. What am I going to say when such and such right. is saying this, right? How am I going to respond to that? So, or not, not only that, we are caught up with our, with our little screens, right? We are walking in and while we are walking in, we are checking our emails. Yeah. And of course, in that moment, we, we cannot sense the energy in the room. But when we are really present when we are present, we are walking in, we can sense it, we can see it, we can feel it. Um, and, and when we are doing that, again, we are already having information that are important for the meeting that we oftentimes miss. And that is one of the reasons why oftentimes also meetings are ineffective. Yeah, absolutely. And I've sat through some of those ineffective meetings. Uh -huh. I know exactly what they feel like. Yeah. <laughs> so who, who exactly do you work with? Who, what is your ideal client? Well, my ideal client is an is an open-minded, driven 
a business owner or entrepreneur or anybody who is in a leadership position, uh, position who, who wants to be the best doggone leader they can be, you know, the, who realize, all right, you know, in order for me to, to, be and, um, to be at my best and show up at my best, I need an outside perspective. I need somebody who challenges my viewpoints. I need someone who is pointing out my blind spots that I can't see myself because that is, as I often say, it's lonely at the top. Nobody, nobody is telling the leader what they are doing incorrectly, right? So the leader does not really have anybody in the company that is giving them feedback, but that is where um, I as a coach can help them. And again, if they happen to have a dog, then of course, the, one of the things that I do is I include that relationship with the, with the dog into our conversations to open them up to new ideas about leadership, to also get them more engaged with their own dog. Because as you know, one of the things what happens um, with most people is we are sitting way too much, right? We are not exercising enough. We also know that by walking and doing exercise, we are releasing the stress. So let's go together with your dog for a walk every day and use your dog also as your, as your partner to, to talk out some of your ideas and the things that you are dealing with at work. And this may sound funny, but, you know, there was actually a, uh, last year there was a, um, um, a research of, I believe, 800 C-level executives who, whom they asked about, um, you know, their relationship to, to pets and, you know, the majority of them, I believe more than 80% had dogs or pets um, while they were, when they were growing up. And they talked about how many of them learned um, responsibility and, and certain leadership skills early on while they had a dog. And I forgot, I, I forgot the number, how many said actually that when they're walking with their dog, that is when they get their best ideas. Nice. So again, there is also a way how how I I encourage my clients to do more with their dog, in order to optimize their performance in the workplace. Nice, very cool. Yeah, I love that. And I I've used similar analogies um, working with my clients, um, talking about when you you're trying to put a new process in place or something, implement some new strategies inside the company. You want with with dog training, you reward the behavior you want to see, right? right? Mm -hmm. You don't yell and scream at the animal. They've forgotten what's happened. They don't realize what it is you're talking about. But if you ask them to do something, sit, come, stay, and then you reward that, they know every time I do this correctly, I'm going to get rewarded. Right. It's kind of the same with employees. Right. You don't want to get angry at them because that has very minimal impact and it, it, it's short-lived. You want to reward the behaviors that you see, reward those people who are doing things the right way. Not only will they continue to do it right, the right way, but the other employees will see, oh, that's what I need to do in order to get rewarded, right? right. And we all want rewards of some kind. Right, right. And, you know, it, it's it's as simple as just saying thank you or mm -hmm. what I've done here, you did a really great job. It's, it's not like big rewards that have to happen. And again, you know, at the same time, I also encourage my, my clients is, Get to know your people. Find out what kind of rewards they appreciate. Because, again, I also always say, you know, my dogs like to eat raw meat. I don't like raw meat. But, you know, if I want to reward them with something nice, I give them a piece of steak, right? That doesn't mean um, because I like cake that I give them cake because right. with cake they would not eat this. I give them what they want. 
Yeah. Same thing is in a company. Find mm -hmm. out what your employees want and what they appreciate and give them that. When we start out right from the beginning, right? When we start out right from the beginning, when we are working with a new team or we are building a company and we are rewarding the, the good behavior, then, mm -hmm. you know, we are already fostering engagement. We are fostering trust. And if something negative has to be said, because criticism is necessary, we, I don't say never criticize or never give negative feedback, but you have built up such a asset of positive feedback that the negative feedback does not stand out. Right. Most uh, leaders do is they never give any positive feedback, but they only point out the criticism. Yeah. And that is not how you build up um, people. Exactly. Or they give uh, some positive, but then take it back with a backhanded right. statement. Yeah, I've right. seen that right. quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to find out what the what the employee's currency is, right? Do they want recognition? Do they just want a, a quiet handshake or a pat on the back? Do they want something, a financial reward of some kind, time off, whatever it is? Right. You don't want to just give a blank. You could handing a, a Starbucks card to somebody who doesn't like coffee or, or I mean, that's, that's not really beneficial for them. You want to find out what it is that means right. most to them and then reward them that way. Absolutely. Right. Right. And that's why it's important to know, know your people, just like it's important to know your dog because not every dog is the same. Right. And you have to change your training style based on the dog that is in front of you. Absolutely. Very cool. So how does your dog, doggone leadership program work? What does that look like? Well, when I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, it's really, I customize it based on okay. what they are dealing with and, um, and yeah, what their challenges are, what their goals are. And then I find ways and I'm thinking about, all right, what kind of exercises can I include where we involve the dog, for yeah. example? And then I bring it in based on where it allows. And, you know, not every conversation is about dogs. It's, right. But it's an, a unique way to, to loosen up the conversation and bring in a different perspective about leadership. Sure. If I go into a company, let's say I go into a company where I do some training, some leadership training or some stress or, you know, any kind of uh, performance improvement training. And um, for example, I love, that's why I love to go to pet friendly companies where they mm -hmm. can bring their dogs to the workplace because they are already the majority of the people love dogs. And it's very easy for me to weave in these, these stories about dogs sure and um, to then make certain points that are still focused on the workplace. Right. It's just, I use just different stories to, to sure. emphasize the points um, that I want to make. Yeah, it's a lot easier for them to, to take those in. Um, kids watching a, a cartoon, if the cartoon has some kind of moral overtone, it's easier for the kid to get that than from you as a parent just saying, here's what you should do. They right. learn yeah. by that example. And the same thing, I am a private pilot, so I use a lot of flight analogies. Mm -hmm. right? When we're talking yeah. about a strategic plan, I first tell them as a pilot, I have to put together my flight plan. Where am I now? Where do I want to be? How do I plan to get there? Yeah. And once they understand that, then it's like, we need to do the same thing for you. Where are you going? How do you want to get there? How are you going to measure your progress? Right. Yeah. And it, it makes it a little bit easier to understand. 
It does. And what is the fun part is oftentimes once I'm done and people come back, come, come to the front and we have a side conversation, they say, oh, what you just mentioned about your, how to deal with something with my dog. I have this issue with my dog and I'm going to go home and I'm going to practice that. Nice. And that is really, um, that is the secondary intention that I have, right? It's because I do want people to have more harmonious uh, relationships with their dogs because dogs have so much to give to us. And I really want people also to understand on my clients to understand that dogs can be very helpful and can be our partners for our, our own personal growth and our own personal development. Absolutely. Very nice. Very cool. So let's talk about courage. Mm -hmm. um, on, the, on the podcast, we talk about the courage. Where do people find the courage to leave their nine to five job to create their own success? Where do they find the courage to overcome the setbacks like the uh, death, uh, bankruptcy, divorce, things like that? Um, for you, where did you find the courage to to step out and kind of create your own your own success? Where did that courage come from? Um, my courage, I would say, comes from desire. Okay. Um, and you know, I what comes up for me is so I grew up in in East Germany um, behind the wall, mm. and um, I was nineteen when the wall came down. And, you know, when, when all of this happened and I was in, in, the, uh, in the university at the time, I decided, okay, I'm going to go to West Germany. I'm, I'm going to start all over again. And, you know, I left when nobody really knew what would happen next. I mean, it was just a couple of months after, you know, November 1989 in February of um, 1990. And... Um, yeah, it was my desire to have a different life, to create something new for myself that made me um, have the courage to step into um, the train and go to Frankfurt and find a job by walking door to door to, uh, in businesses and travel agencies and applying for a job. Um, and that is how I created my new life. And then, you know, I went to college in in West Germany, and um, I ha had a degree in international business, and I wanted to have international experience, and so I made up my mind. I want to have, I want to live in a in a foreign country for a while. So again, my desire to live in a foreign country, and I chose here the USA, um, then gave me the courage to again step out of my comfort zone, come over here, apply for jobs. Um, and doing it in where I heard many times the word no, sure. <laughs> but you know the desire the, to 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 have this experience gave me the courage to pull through. Nice, but uh, have you always been that courageous? Were you a courageous child? I was as as yes as a as a very young child. I was very courageous and very adventurous. Um, because of me, my parents had to build a fence around the house. Because <laughs> I ran away and I ran away from kindergarten. And then they found me on the cherry tree uh, of one of my friends in um, in the garden of one of, or in the backyard of one of my friends. And um, but you know, in you have to understand, in East Germany, life was different. Yeah. And um, Courage was not something that was, was rewarded. Not only that, when people were truly courageous and tried to do something that was not allowed, and again, you know, the box that we lived in was very small at the time, then you were punished. And oftentimes you were punished severely. So 
um, you know, I had to learn early on that in order for you to stay safe, you have to stay in a small box. And um, yeah, again, it was just in my desire to, to go somewhere else, to experience something else that reawakened my courage. Nice. And we talk about different types of courage um, that we have to tap into as leaders, right? There's intellectual courage, the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs and the current knowledge you have to make room for new knowledge, right? Always, yeah. I'm a lifelong learner. I love learning new things. There's empathetic courage. There's social courage, saying what needs to be said, even if it's unpopular. Mm -hmm. um, is there a type of courage you would say maybe comes easier for you? Um, that's a good question. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure whether there is one that comes easier or not. Um, I would say I have learned the emotional courage. Um, and it's a, it's a, it was a conscious or it was, and part of it was really for me to become a better coach. Um, because I do believe that for, to be an effective coach, our emotional intelligence and our emotional competence has to be rather high because we have to be able to hold the space for our clients with whatever they are dealing with and don't get triggered with our own emotional baggage. Yes. And so therefore, and that is, you know, something that I love about our work. And as Steve Chandler says, you know, coaching is the only um, profession where um, personal growth is a pre-requisition um, for personal success, for, for professional success. Yes. And so therefore me having done the work myself um, also allows me now to have more emotional courage because number one is I developed a different kind of relationship with my own emotions and I can sit even with the uncomfortable emotions. And at the same time, it also allows me to sit with the um, uncomfortable emotions of my clients without trying to jump in right away and trying to rescue them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess the um, being the um, rescue animals, right? Mm -hmm. Working with rescues and fostering them and everything like that helps you kind of learn how to put up those barriers. So your emotions are there, but you know that at some point that's going to transition, right? The doctrine of that. You know what I'm trying to say is working with employees, you can't allow your emotions to get involved when you're talking with them and they're struggling. You can't let your emotions get involved. You have to make space for them, listen to them, work with them, help them get back on their feet so they can be productive again. You can't let your emotions get involved and start telling, well, when this happened to me or this is my story or, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially if somebody is, is, is sharing their story and their emotions and you're trying to jump in as a leader and trying to share from your ex, uh, experience. Um, we do this to show compassion, but oftentimes what we are doing is we, it, we make it about us instead of mm -hmm. about the other person. Yeah. And so therefore it is important to allow the other person to talk, to, to go through their emotional um, situation without um, the leader fueling it as well. So it is really about having social, uh, I'm sorry, um, self-awareness, right? Yeah. Being aware of my own emotions and then also my self-management so that I'm, I'm able to, to manage and control and infuse my emotions depending on what is needed in the situation. Nice. Exactly. So talking about employees, do you have any employees? Are you a solo no, I don't. Um, okay. 
No, just my dogs. They are the just only. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about in previous jobs? Did you have employees or direct reports reporting to you? Um, well, in my pre- well, not in my in my previous jobs because I actually when I came here to America in 1995, I worked at that time for the German American Chamber of Commerce, and then I ended up in corporate America. And um, in the first couple of years, I already knew that I wanted I, that corporate America was not for me, and so I started to look for ways how to start my own business. And again, you mm-hmm. can say, you know, that was courageous of me too of starting here, um, my business, and that was in 2000, when I had no network. I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, would I recommend that to somebody again? No, I wouldn't. Um, I had no network. I had no idea how to build a business and and what to do, marketing and all of that. I had no clue. But all I knew is I I didn't want to work in corporate America. So, um, yeah, the first couple of years were tough, uh, but I made it. And... um, yeah, so I never had employees. Okay. Um, with some of the leaders that you work with in your programs and stuff like that, what do you look for in a leader? What I look for in a leader is open-mindedness, having a growth mindset. Um, what I'm looking in a leader is, is that they are transparent and vulnerable mm. and, and, and being able to be vulnerable. Um, because, you know, the, you know, the kind of conversations that we are having with our clients, um, they, they are becoming more effective when they are transparent and when they are also allowing a vulnerability. And when we combine that with, with um, open-mindedness, then I do know that whatever goal they want to accomplish, um, they can get there. Nice. So if I was to bump into any of these people and ask them about your leadership style, what do you think they'd tell me? What type of leader are you? Um, that's a good question. I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Oftentimes I get, uh, I get the response from people. Um, and again, I mean, I also, I do a lot of volunteer work and mm-hmm. I'm there in, in leadership positions um, where I get that I'm very direct which I don't necessarily see as, as direct, because if you knew my mom, you know, she's direct, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's the German culture. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't beat around the bushes. I mean, we we just say what we see and, you know, and so therefore I also always make sure that um, I am aware. I'm socially aware so that I recognize how my message lands so I can immediately take responsibility there in case it does not land the way it was intended. Um, So I would say I am direct, but I'm also very compassionate because I am a very um, empathetic person. Um, Again, you know, you can't be in in the rescue world and and deal with animals without having empathy. Um, So yeah, I would say direct, but at at the same, same time, compassionate. Good. Yeah, I think those are important qualities to have both. And I I prefer a direct leader. Mm-hmm. Somebody that just comes out and tells me, don't beat around the bush and hint and yeah. hope that I pick up what you're saying. Just yeah. come out and tell me. <laughs> right, 
Yeah, and you know, and and again, it's it's I'm 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 aware of that. It, part of it may also be, or part of it is also my accent, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, and the way I my words sound differently, and when people are not used to that, it sounds a little bit harsher the way I talk yeah. to people. I I don't notice it because I only know this is the way I talk. Um, but again, I can see when I see it in other people, or if I get it, oh, you're, that was really direct. I immediately take responsibility and, and you know, re-correct in case the, the message was not received the way I intended to send it. Yeah. But a lot of times it's on the receiver's end. They already have preconceived ideas. And if you say something that comes close to, to something that they maybe have a, a, a fear of or... Um, maybe they they don't have the confidence in themselves. If something you say comes close to that, they automatically think that's what you meant, and they take it they take it wrong. Right, and again, that is where going back to one of my words, where the balance comes in. Right, mm-hmm. it's about number one is me understanding. Yes, I am responsible for the message that I'm sending out, and whether it comes across as intended. But then on the other hand the person that is the receiver also has their own, what I call emotional landmines, mm-hmm. right? And if somebody sure. is has landmine over landmine, no matter what I say, you know, creates an explosion, I cannot take responsibility for that, right? right? So that is where the, the person, the people have to do their own healing. And that is something where I think also that where a lot of companies are missing out um, is when it comes to providing more, training and programs around personal development for their employees. Um, Because that personal uh, development is important for their work performance, is important for the communication um, in the company. And most people, I would say the majority of the people don't necessarily see this as their responsibility to spend their spare time on personal development seminars, and workshops, etc. You know, it's only a minority of people who are doing that. But if companies invested more into their employees from that perspective, I also say that that would increase the performance and engagement. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Good stuff. So what's next for you? You've already done so much. You've got your great doggone leadership program. You do keynote speaking also, right? I do keynote speaking. I do workshops. Um, I do something, you know, on my volunteer side, I do something called uh, Forever Your Dog, um, where I provide, it's a a dog owner support group for for people who just adopted a dog, or maybe they have a dog where they have challenges, and they can't fix it, to come to learn from other dog owners where I can share tips, ideas, resources, etc., it's really about one of my goals is really about helping also dog owners to keep their dogs at home nice. um, and, and not surrendering them to shelters or to rescue groups, because um, for every problem, there is a solution. And, yeah. you know, there are several solutions and and taking the dog or bringing the dog back or taking it to a shelter should be the last solution. Yeah. And then I'm working right now on a TEDx talk. Um, nice. And the idea, it's, it's really the idea that I'm sharing is really to, um, opening people up to the idea of, of partnering with their dog for their own personal growth and for their own personal development. Because what I really want to encourage people is to, 
instead of going into a shelter or rescue group and, and adopting a nice little puppy that hasn't been messed up by other people yet, take a dog that is a little bit older, that may have a behavior issue here and there, and do that with the intention to become a better leader to become stronger in your own self, to learn something about yourself that you, that you can um, and, and, and implement something about yourself where your dog, where this dog can help you, where you are partnering with this dog for your own rescue. Nice. Yeah. And I can see how those lessons would translate over, right? The compassion, the, the consistency. That's awesome. Yeah. And because when you do this with your dog and then you are applying it, adjusting it a little bit with people because not everything that the way it works with dogs can directly apply it with humans. Right. Sometimes it's slightly different. You know, you will automatically become a better leader or you will get automatically more contentment and satisfaction out of your, your work um, situation. Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. Well, Iris, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Um, Thank you. If people want to learn more about you and learn about the programs you offer and everything, how can they do that? What's your website? My website is my name. It's irisgrim.com. So it's like grim, like the double M.com. Got it. Okay, perfect. And the uh, dog on leadership is not a a program necessarily. It could be a one-to-one coaching that you go through, or it could be a group program for a company or something like that. Right. Correct. Correct. It can be both ways. Very cool. And when do you think that TEDx talk is going to come out? Well, that's a good question. I'm 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 in the process now of finding the the different TEDx stages. Um, I I'm interviewing right now with a couple of coaches who can Excellent. help me with that. And then you know it's all about being getting up accepted um, for a TEDx stage. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. We'll look out and Thank make sure you. that uh, when that does happen, I'll make sure I put the link in the show notes so people can come and find that too. All right. Thank you. Right. Thank you very yeah. much. Holly. No, that's awesome. I will put the uh, the link to your website in the show notes. And again, really appreciate your time. Thank you. And Thank listeners, you. hope you guys are taking notes. A lot of good information here. Um, definitely check out Iris's website and her program. Support your local humane society. Help them either by donating or by rescuing an animal. There are far too many animals out there that are in danger of euthanization. Definitely check into those shelters. Um, and share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. Leave me a review on this episode and definitely check out all the past episodes and leave me comments on those too. Really appreciate your support. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now.